If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews is toward the back of the Bible. We've been journeying our way through this incredible book. Uh, we, found we find ourselves this morning in chapter 10. During this week that America honored its veterans, uh, if you're a veteran here this morning, thank you. Uh, thank you for your service to our country. We're so grateful for you. Uh, during this week that we were able to honor our veterans, uh, I went and saw one of the most incredible movies I've seen in a really long time. Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it. Uh, it's a very gory movie. Uh, those of you who liked the movies like Saving Private Ryan, you'll love this. Those of you who thought, ooh, a little bit too much gore, uh, there might be too much gore in this as well. But what I love about it, it says it tells this true story of a private by the name of Desmond Doss. And even in the beginning, it doesn't say based on true events. It says, this is a true story. And again, the research I've done is to find out is not only is it true what they tell, there was much they left out of what this incredible hero, uh, Desmond Doss, did in World War II. And what makes it all the more incredible is that he was a conscientious objector to the war because of religious beliefs, or to killing, I should say, because of religious beliefs. Because of that reality, he was actually given an exempt status. He didn't have to be drafted. He wouldn't be drafted. But as he saw others go serve their country, he was torn and conflicted and says, although I'm exempt, I'm going to enlist anyway. But what he vowed was this, a soldier who enlists, who vows, I will never carry a gun. During basic training uh, and his, his uh, training for becoming a soldier, he was relentlessly hazed. By those who would say, you gotta, you gotta carry a gun. You're, you're gonna be a soldier. As a matter of fact, they would hope that he would quit, that would give up, but he would either quit or somehow be disqualified so they wouldn't have to go to war with a soldier who refused to carry a gun. He said, I, I wanna be a medic. This is what I wanna do. I don't wanna take life. I wanna try to help preserve life. And he became that medic. He proved to be one of the most heroic men of all of World War II. And he served in the Pacific. And he, he served on the battlefield that were some of the most horrific battles in all of World War II. Interesting, when they were in training, uh, one of his uh, superior officers said this quote to him, you don't win wars by giving up your life. Well, he's basically saying, you don't win wars by not carrying a gun. But incredibly, Desmond Doss was given the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest honor that someone could receive in military service. And he was the only, only conscientious objector who could win that, who won that. It's incredible. He saved over 75 men in one battle alone. Now, I know I'm really dangerously close to a spoiler alert if I haven't spoiled it, but let me just say there's a whole lot more. See the movie if you like. But we gotta realize the greatest battle ever fought was fought against sin and death itself. That Jesus, God's own son, he, he would fight that battle for you and for me and he'd fight it without a sword. He would fight it without a conventional weapon. That, that scripture would say that, that Jesus would enter into the ultimate battle between heaven and hell, the ultimate battle between life and death. And what he would use to win that battle was his own body. 
that his own body that would secure victory. And the, what a victory he did receive and secure. And it's, he received so much more than the Congressional Medal of Honor. I mean, because of what Jesus does, has done, Scripture says that God gave him the name that is above every name. That it just in his name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that, that Jesus is, is Lord. He's given him the honor to be at God's right hand that Jesus has rightfully earned as the only obedient son, that place, that sacred place of being at the right hand of his father. But what he's received is more. He's received, he's earned and received for us eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And it's an incredible honor that he gives. And here's what he does. He doesn't just wear the honor himself. For all of you who know and love Jesus, he shares that honor with you, that honor of being his children. This morning, as we continue the sermon series in Hebrews about fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus has offered this perfect sacrifice, this once and for all perfect sacrifice for sin and death. And he's also, because of that perfect sacrifice, who would have ever thought it would have been God's own son? There's some perfect results. And these perfect results are staggering for you and me. So let's look at God's word. It's Hebrews 10. Verses 1 through 18, as we see the perfect sacrifice of God offering the perfect results for him and for us. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It could never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having been once, having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, think of the temple, think of those repeated sacrifices. There is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and now he's, he's doing what is the, the uh, author of Hebrews continues to do. He's quoting the Old Testament. Here specifically, he's quoting Psalm 40. And it says this, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It may be my favorite verse in all of scripture. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Again, quoting Jeremiah 31, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let us pray. Father, there's words in this passage that talk about perfect. What in the world in our life and our world is perfect? But you tell us in this text that there is a perfect sacrifice that has resulted in perfect results for us that we need to understand, that each person here needs to understand and embrace. So God, come and speak through a broken sinner like me. And God, graciously come and give us ears to hear your voice. And Holy Spirit, illumine our minds to understand your word. And, and God, come and be with us and give us hearts that, that embrace your truth and your love and the reality of your Son. And God, if this is true, if through the sacrifice of Christ, we truly are perfected and being made holy, would you cause our feet to walk in a manner worthy of that sacrifice and worthy of our calling? And God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh Lord, please use those things to help us celebrate the victory of Christ and make us more like him. And it's in his holy and precious matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, there's an outline for you if you want to follow along. You see we have two uh, this morning, just two points to make. And the first one is this, the perfect sacrifice. And both both we're going to look at the perfect sacrifice and the perfect results. And we're going to see both the sacrifice and the results. They have some immediate implications for right now, forever in your life. But they also have some ongoing uh, complications or ongoing blessings is probably a, a better way to say that. It's really interesting because they're looking in this, this passage, they're looking at how futile the sacrificial system was in the temple, how futile it was that all those priests always standing, always butchering uh, these bulls and these goats uh, to try to take away sins. And every day in the temple, they're repeating over and over and over and over and over and over again, sacrifices that just doesn't work. And the writer is going to say, well, Jesus came. They were just a shadow of what would really work. And all that was is point to what Jesus was going to do and that Jesus is going to come and through one sacrifice, he's going to make everything right. It's incredible. And he's going to, he takes Psalm 40. He looks at Psalm 40. He says, what was written a long time ago in the Psalms was really written for Jesus. It was written for me, Jesus would say. And it says this in Psalm 40 and repeated here in Hebrews 10. Sacrifices and offerings you, God, has not desired. Interestingly here, it's translated, but a body you've prepared for me. 
In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. If God, listen, if God doesn't desire sacrifices and offerings and takes no delight in them, the question that we should be asking is, then why did he set up this system? Why did he require them? It's kind of odd to have somebody in authority to say, by the way, do this and do this often. And then say, and by the way, I don't even like this. I have no desire in this. There's nothing here that, that warms my heart. This is nothing here that, that really I delight in. And you want to say, well, why, why didn't you give it to us? I mean, why did you give us a system that you don't delight in? Well, we start to know as we read the Bible that one thing is clear that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. It says it in the Old Testament and it says it in the New Testament, like passages like Leviticus 17.7. Or even last chapter we looked at in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so what's up, God? I mean, you don't delight in them and yet you've asked us to do it. And, and here they are, what's happening? Because he says to us, the writer says to us, well, the things that they were doing in the temple and that whole Old Testament system, it was just a shadow. It wasn't a reality. It was just a copy. It just pointed to something, something else. As a matter of fact, did you, did you hear in this passage, it says this, let's make it clear. It's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. You can't find a good enough bull or a good enough goat. You, you can't be uh, like, uh, gosh, I'm so, um, the word I'm looking for, I'm, I so, uh, when you're really sincere, I'm so sincere about this offering. God, I'm so sincere. Here is this offering. Can you take away sins? He's like, no, it doesn't work. How futile. Have you ever done something that feels really futile? Have you ever done something that someone asks you to do? You do it and it's like, this is so futile. It doesn't work. Well, in verse 10, it tells us the conclusion. That's through the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all, that sins are taken away. Now, I want you to journey with me, because I'm telling you, this is maybe, of all the things we've done in Hebrews, probably the most exciting text to me to preach. Because really, this is kind of get to the nuts and bolts of what Jesus has really done for us. But I'm going to ask you to journey with me through some a little bit of theology, a little bit of some theological terms to try to help us understand. Because here's my point, that the whole sacrificial system pointed to Jesus. And that Jesus, God's son, had to come to earth as a man, it had to be given a body. Because through that body, that sacrifice could make us perfect. Theologians describe Jesus's life and the sacrifice he's made in two ways. You may want to write this down. He, he, he's, he, he describes the sacrifice as active and passive obedience of Christ. There's an active and passive obedience of Christ that's needed. God would need a body. Jesus would need a body for do this. Through Jesus's active obedience. Let me tell you what active obedience means. That Jesus came uh, as God in flesh to completely fulfill the law for man and woman. He had to do it as a man. He needed a body. Jesus had to actively live a sinless life. Jesus had to pursue righteousness. He had to be perfectly righteous. I mean, from the get-go, from a virgin birth, this Jesus had to be a spotless lamb of God. 
If anything happened in Jesus' life, if there was any temptation he gave into, any sin that he fell into, he would no longer be the spotless Lamb of God. He would no longer be a, a, a beautiful and holy enough sacrifice for sinners. He couldn't do it. You gotta understand, if Jesus had one minute sin in him, he, his sacrifice would mean nothing for him or for us. And his active obedience is him coming and says, I've come here to do nothing but the Father's will. I've come here to do nothing except for what the Father has shown me. And he has come and he did it perfectly. Why? So that Jesus can perfectly fulfill the demands of the law for you and me. Jesus is the reality that God is holy. You know, we all want God to forgive us. We all want God to just say, just wipe the slate clean and, and just forgive us. But the only way a merciful and holy God could forgive us is if somebody did fulfill the requirements. You got to understand, he doesn't change his mind of his requirements. Perfection is what was needed. He's holy God. Yes, he's gracious and merciful God. But that law and all of its demands had to be fulfilled. And that's the active obedience of Jesus to come and live the life that you and I failed to live. The second thing is this, through Jesus's passive obedience, he needed a body. What is this passive obedience? It's Jesus going to the cross and hanging on a cross and passively without speaking against it, without making words saying, take me down. He passively, listen to this, absorb the wrath of God for our sins. He, he, he passively, he took on our sins. He became our sins. And once our sins were on Jesus, God's wrath appeared upon him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, there was a perfect sacrifice that needed perfect obedience. And it would hang on a cross passively. And not only that, to absorb God's wrath and to take on our sins. You see, this is so beautiful in Psalm. He pulls back to Psalm 40, he says, he doesn't desire all these animal sacrifices. He's no delight in them. He gave me the body. He, made, he gave me a body so that I would be the sacrifice. So he wouldn't delight in this. Let me make it personal for you because for us, the sacrificial system of the temple doesn't make much sense. But most of us live our lives trying to earn God's love and favor. Most of us live our lives trying to, to somehow pay the debt of our sins and our messed up past and our messed up realities. And he's saying, your blood, your efforts won't do it. Only God's will in Christ Jesus. So God has given Jesus a body. Why? To fulfill the law. He's given him a body. Why? So he could bleed. He could bleed as man because there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And this is God's blood. Blood was needed to stop the curse of the law and absorb the wrath of God. I just think of the, one of the greatest movies I've ever loved was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. And you know, the curse needed to be reversed, but there was no reversing the curse without the shedding of blood. They had to gather everything that was stolen, all those, all those uh, coins, but it wasn't enough to gather. They had to shed blood of, of, of the chosen one for the curse to be reversed. And I'm sitting there chuckling, thinking, we can't tell a story better than Jesus' story because blood has to be shed to reverse the curse, to stop the wrath. And that's what Jesus did. What the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, let me tell you, the blood of the Lamb of God can.
And he says in verse 18, then there's four, there's, there's no sacrifice for sin. What does that mean? There's, there's no more sacrifice. There's, there's nothing we could do to earn it. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. This was such a perfect sacrifice. I love the verbiage that we get here. You have the priests in the temple. They always are standing because the job's never done. You have Jesus once and for all making one sacrifice, sitting down, because why? The job is done. You know what it's like when you finally completed the job and you finally sit down, and I don't know if it's cleaning the house or mowing the lawn or whatever. It's like, oh, I just want to sit down. It's done. But then we also know that what's going to happen next week or the next day, the next day, that job seems to always get us back up on our feet and it needs to have more. But this is saying for our salvation, this perfect sacrifice, there's no more sacrifice needed for sins. And it's offensive to do it. If Jesus, let's think about this. If Jesus' sacrifice was enough for you and me, how offensive would it be to holy God that we would now try to earn our salvation? How offensive would it be now saying, okay, I know that Jesus did that cross thing, but I really, I'm going to justify myself. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be really moral. I'm going to try to be really good. I'm going to really give. I'm going to do all this stuff for me so I can feel good about me. And he's saying, oh, you missed it completely. It's not about you. It's not about your moralism. It's not about how hard you work. It's about the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice to make us pure. But he does two things. It's interesting. It says in verse 12 that he sits down. Why? Because his sacrifice was enough for you. You understand that? Whatever junk you've been into, wherever your life has taken you, his sacrifice was enough for you. He sits. But there's ongoing. He waits. He waits because it's not over. Well, if I said it is, well, your sins have been paid. That's over. But there's a waiting because his kingdom hasn't fully come. There's, he's waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet, it says. He's waiting for the fullness of all of his folks to come to know and love him. The kingdom hasn't fully come. It's a perfect sacrifice in its efficacy. It was effective enough. It was a perfect sacrifice in its duration. It will never stop. You know, again, what I think you love about Hacksaw Ridge is a soldier who enters a battle without a gun. I mean, who does that, right? <laughs> who goes into the crosshairs? I mean, this wasn't like, you know, BB guns and, and laser tag. I mean, the, one of the Japanese actually called it a shower of, of iron because of all of, of the bullets and munitions that are just flying through the air as thousands lost their life on Hacksaw Ridge. And one guy runs in without a gun you got to realize that Jesus runs into the battle without a sword. He just goes into life with his body to fulfill the law's demands and to offer a sacrifice. The greatest victory ever secured, the greatest battle ever won was through the active and passive obedience of Jesus. Okay, secondly, and it's a perfect result. Highlight underline, put on your refrigerator, staple it to your forehead, do whatever you got to do. Hebrews 10, 14, live your life in the reality of Hebrews 10, 14. It will set you free because it says this through one sacrifice, God has made forever perfect. Those he's making holy. Whoa. Did you hear the language? This is God speaking to you through the sacrifice of Jesus. He has made forever perfect those he's making holy. And so what does it mean to be forever made perfect? Well, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for you and me to forever be declared not guilty. 
It's our justification. If you're in Christ Jesus, your legal standing in Christ Jesus will never, ever change. It's true on your worst day. It's true on your best day. It's true when you're lost in habitual sin. It's true when you are worshiping and singing with tears down your cheeks. The reality is that in Christ's sacrifice, we have been declared, we have been made forever perfect. It doesn't get better than that, does it? And yet we're being made holy. What an incredible paradox. One of my best friends is David Outing. He's preached here several times. I hope you've heard him. What an incredible man of God. I think we became really close friends at a friend's, a mutual friend's memorial service was right here. Scott Alexander, one of our elders. And he had a part of the service and I had a part of the service. And afterwards we met back in my office and I asked him how things were going. And, and he was honest. He was telling us hard and he talked about some things in his family that weren't right. And there's some things I've tried so hard and I've, you know, I'm trying to be a good pastor, trying to be a good dad. And, and we went together to Hebrews 10, 14. And we just reminded each other that, that God has made forever perfect those he's making holy. And, and something clicked in both of us that we just became lifelong friends. I call you brothers is realize that we want to encourage each other that we're, we're sinners that stumble. We're pastors who fail. We're dads that aren't good enough. We're husbands that continually make the same mistakes. But we're forgiven. And we're perfected in Christ. And we're free. And what a beautiful thing that is. That, that made forever perfect. And I love this. It's, there's this paradox. It's so dripping with this. He's, he's forever made you perfect. But he's also making you holy. Or he's also you're being sanctified, being made holy, that the sacrifice of Christ has immediate results and ongoing results. We are being made holy, being made more like Christ because of what he has done. And I love the fact in the Bible, because even in this chapter, it uses the word sanctified, make holy in both the past tense in verse 10, it's past. In 14, it's present. It uses the word sanctified in both past and present tenses. It does it throughout scripture. You might say, well, what is it? Am I already made holy or am I being made holy? Yes, you are. In Christ Jesus, yes. You are. You declared it, but he's making you this. And this is this beautiful reality of what God is doing. But we got to realize for both of it, it's what God has done. None of this, zippo zero, is what you and I do. He makes us, declares us perfect. He makes us holy. God does the perfecting. God does the, sur- the uh, sanctifying. You know what we do? The surrendering. We do the surrendering. But by the grace of God. This is why Christians love the cross of Christ. It is here that a sacrifice that was made that makes us perfect. A perfect sacrifice. It was there that that perfection continues in us. There's no more sacrifice for sin. So the question you should be asking, so what is the sacrifice I should be giving? How do I respond? If he's done it all, how do I respond? And the answer is found in Romans 12, 1. Paul will say, now we're living sacrifices. We don't have to give our lives. We don't have to shed our blood. Listen to what Romans 12, 1 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know what he's telling us? Go into the battle without a sword. The only sword you should take is God's word. He's telling you this. 
Don't live your life for one nanosecond trying to battle for the forgiveness of your sins. Did you hear that? Maybe I'm the one who's the chief of sinners who has to hear that more and more. You shouldn't live your life for one nanosecond in a way that's trying to remove your sins and to find your position with God. That's been done if you're a child of the king. But now we battle. We battle empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To love our neighbors as ourselves. To love our enemies and to bring the love of Christ to conquer the world through love for Jesus as king. Perfect forever, it says, it says this. Our conscience should be clear. The writer of Hebrews says that all those bulls and goats, they couldn't make us feel better. They couldn't clear our conscience. We knew there was something still miserably wrong. And the reality is, Amira tells us there's still something wrong, but in Christ's sacrifice, we've been made forever perfect. He's making us holy. And he is going to drive us home. Now we live our lives. Listen, this is a big so what. Now we live our lives in response and thanksgiving and joy. All the way home. The captain in that movie, uh, a guy by the name of Jack Glover, it's kind of interesting. They, they interview him at the end of the movie. You can go online and see some of this stuff as well. And he, he basically says that he did not want Private Doss by his side without a gun. He looked him in the eye and says, I don't want you by my side. I don't want you there. If you don't have a gun, I don't want you anywhere near me. Amazingly, he tried to transfer Doss out of his company. He didn't want to be associated with him. Guess who saved Captain Glover's life? It's Private Doss. Private Doss, who at his own peril will crawl through the earth and the dirt and hundreds of yards carry him back to safety and lower him and 74 others over a ridge, incredible ridge to, to others to, to save him, to others who were there to help him. He was interviewed. He said, I was wrong about this guy. I've never seen a braver man. He saved my life. And the reality is, is I love him. He's the greatest. You understand the gospel when you understand that you're Jack Glover. When you understand that Jesus, at the cost of his own life, would come to heaven and earth and, and crawl upon the ground and the dirt and the blood and the stains of life to find you. And when you know the reality that this God will look in your eyes, says, I've come to bring you home. I've come to set you free. I've come to pay the price. I've come to be enough. I've come to make you my own. And I'm going to become your sin so that you could become my righteousness. When you know Jesus that way, you respond. And you respond in a way like Jack Glover did to, to Private Doss and way more. This man saved me. This man rescued me. Nothing on my own. But he came for me. And now I will live for him. Let us pray. Father God, thanks for men like Desmond Doss.
who out of love for you had to bring peace to the world. What an unusual, incredible hero. But God, he's nothing compared to Jesus. Like Doss, he didn't enter the battle with a sword or a gun. He entered it with his body. And through his obedience and through his sacrifice, he has perfected us. And you are still perfecting us and making us holy. What a beautiful picture of who we are. And God, may we live our lives not one moment trying to offer a sacrifice for sins. That bill's paid. That, that deal's done. But we, may we live out of thanksgiving for one who would crawl to us to rescue us. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus is Lord and Savior, may today be the reality that this story becomes their story. And that they know the joy of knowing and loving Jesus as King. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.